The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the second chapter. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born the king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all of Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people of Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out and there ahead of them went the star that they had been seen, had been seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. The Gospel of the Lord. My dear brothers and sisters, I bring you grace and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So I uh, failed to mention this in my welcome, but today we are celebrating a major feast of the church here called Epiphany. Uh, Epiphany is an English word, of course. It means to make known or to make manifest. Uh, It comes from two Greek words, uh, epi, which in this case means upon, and um, phanos, which means to arise or to shine. Uh, So epiphanos in Greek is to arise upon or to shine upon. And if you look at the top of your bulletin this morning, you'll see that uh, citation from Isaiah 60, which reflects that uh, beautifully. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Uh, And if you continue that reading from Isaiah you get, that's verse one, verse three says this, nations shall come to your light, and again, shine, uh, epiphany is all full of light imagery, nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. So sort of uh, symbolically, epiphany is about Christ being made known to the nations, his light shining out to the nations. And it says again, kings will come to the brightness of your dawn. And if you fast forward now to the reading from Matthew, the gospel, as Christians, we understand that that light is made known to the nations symbolically through the three wise men or the magi. Um, Couple notes about them, by the way. Uh, Fun fact, the, the Matthew gospel does not actually tell us how many 
wise men there were. It leaves it unnumbered. Uh, traditionally, though, we've understood there to be three in part largely because of those gifts they bring of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That's one fun fact. The other is that in our sanctuary here, we've talked about the panels of stained glass many times. Uh, there are 24 of them. They tell the entire biblical narrative. Uh, maybe my favorite of all of the panels, though, is the Christmas panel, um, which is on the angled wall over there. Some of you may not be able to see it, uh, but it's a background of blue with gold rays coming down from the sky. That, of course, is the Star of Bethlehem. But one of the reasons I love it so much is it's got three little circles, which are representations for the three wise men. And I find that to be just a charming detail in that panel. Okay, so... Uh, the story of the wise men, again, we heard the gospel just read. Uh, it's these wise men or magi, magoi, coming from the east. They are led by a star, and they understand that a, a child, a newborn king, is going to be born. So the star leads them to Jerusalem, and quite understandably, what do they do? They go to the king of, of Jerusalem, uh, Herod, who is the puppet king of the Roman Empire, and they say, hey, We've come to celebrate with you. We understand there's a newborn king, and you must be so excited, and where will we find him? Well, of course, we know Herod is far from being excited. He is threatened. <clears throat> he doesn't have his own son uh, expected to be born. And so he goes off and talks to some of his own advisors. They decide, well, maybe this is the Messiah about whom it is written, and they agree that, well, maybe the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. So Herod sends the wise men off to Bethlehem to find this newborn child. And then he says to them, and by the way, after you've found him, and after you've knelt down and paid him homage, please come back and tell me about it so that I also can pay him homage. Well, what he really wants to do, though, is to destroy him. Um, so... The, the wise men do indeed find baby Jesus. And then in verse 12, which is my favorite verse of the whole passage, it's the final verse of the reading we heard from today, we read this. Having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod. So God has warned the wise men that Herod has bad intents in, in, intentions in mind. Having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. I love that, that verse. Um, of course, practically what's happening is indeed God is warning the wise men to protect Jesus by avoiding Herod. But at a deeper level, I like to think of that final verse as saying, so here these wise men have come. They've, they've traveled all this way. They have encountered Jesus. And now, thanks to that encounter, their lives have been changed. They have been transformed and they are gonna go down a different path for the rest of their life, okay? So that's the, the story in a nutshell of Epiphany and how we as Christians think about it. Of course, this is also the weekend when we celebrate uh, New Year's. This is only the 2nd of January. And culturally, what is it that we do around New Year's? We make what? New Year's, res I think I heard some of you say resolutions, is that right, yes? Okay, and resolutions are all about what? They're about saying, well, maybe in the next year I can do a little bit better. Maybe I can be healthier or smarter or make better choices. Is that fair? So what, and they last about a day typically. Um, so what I want to do today is I want to sort of mash up this idea that the, the wise men 
have been transformed and changed through their encounter with Jesus and our own sense of uh, making resolutions so that we can be changed and transformed. Um, and I have actually a very simple thought experiment along that, that, those lines, which I will get to, but I want to precede it by just saying uh, a little bit of a caveat, which is that in our tradition, in the Lutheran tradition, we ha- we're very nervous about saying, well, try this, or do that, this will make God love you more, or this will make you closer to God. After our, all, our entire tradition is based on we are saved not by works, not by our own efforts or achievements, but by faith. And so we're very cautious about doing anything that would suggest that we have any power to save ourselves, which leads to sort of absurd uh, jokes like the one about the elderly Lutheran man who lived a very long time, and at his funeral, the pastor said, oh, he was such a good Lutheran, he never did a good work in his life, right? Which is not quite the point. Uh, but so, so I want to suggest, uh, again, a, a kind of thought experiment, not because it's going to make God love you more, but that perhaps this little thought experiment might open up space in our hearts, in our minds, to allow God to continue to change and transform us. Does that make sense? So, and, and by the way, I'm not going to suggest you do this thought experiment as a New Year's resolution for the entire year. I'm going to suggest something far more modest that you maybe think about doing it for the next few days or maybe the next week. And the thought experiment very simply is, during these next few days or during this next week, I want you to imagine that everyone you encounter is Jesus in disguise. And I think when we live that way, when we put those kind of lenses on, uh, minimally, there's a potential for two things to happen. The first has to do with how we see other people. And I want to suggest today that in our everyday life, we typically do not see the fullness um, of the individuals we come in contact with. We do not recognize their eternal significance as sons and daughters of a loving God. And honestly, that's often most true with people who we are closest to. Rather than see them as the full being that God made them to be, we see our own projections on them, which includes all kinds of maybe pain and resentment that we feel toward them. So if we imagine that they are, in fact, Christ in disguise, again, it may open our eyes to recognize, oh, maybe there's something I haven't been seeing in that individual. And I'm going to lift up just a couple of thoughts from our dear friend C.S. Lewis. This is from one of the few sermons that we have left from him. He didn't preach a lot of sermons. This is a particularly famous one called The Weight of Glory. And he's talking here precisely about what I'm saying, that... uh, People are not just uh, creatures. We are, we, are, we are created by a loving God for eternal significance. So, for example, he says, it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses to remember, listen to this, that the dullest and most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. He goes on to say, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked 
to a mere mortal. Instead, the people we encounter, as I mentioned, are children, sons and daughters of a loving God with eternal significance. And when we view them as Jesus in disguise, it strikes me that we may just get a glimpse of that truth. Okay, so that's one thing that might happen. It has to do with how we see other people. The other thing that might happen is it might, imagining that we're coming into an encounter with Jesus, it might impact how we think about ourselves. In this way, if we are standing in the presence of the all-knowing and perfect uh, God who will one day judge us, I have a feeling that part of what happens is we start to realize, huh, maybe I'm not the most brilliant, thoughtful, caring, wonderful, faithful person that I like to think I am. Maybe I am instead filled with, again, resentments or grudges or an unwillingness to forgive or prejudices, right? And you may think, well, geez, Tim, that sounds like kind of a downer on January 2nd. Why would I want to think that way about myself? I think, though, that's a good thing because what it does is it allows us then to say to that same Jesus in disguise or to the God we pray to, God, you know, I might need a little help with this whole life thing. And it might open up space in our hearts to allow God to start, at least, or to continue the work of transforming and changing us so that we might reflect God's light more fully out into the world. You might say that by acknowledging our own sinfulness, our own brokenness, it will allow God to, as he did with the wise men, lead us down a different path. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Loving God, on this epiphany, we do give thanks for your bright light which shines through all of creation. We pray that you will allow us to see it not only in all the created things of the world, but also in every individual we come in contact with. And we pray also that you will fill our hearts with that same light so that we can reflect it out to a world in need. And all this I pray in the holy name of Jesus. Amen.